Hello and welcome to the Gamer's Tavern episode 18. You know, I started off this episode kind of in panic mode, and there was a good reason for that. I was registering for Gen Con, and as you probably know, Gen Con registration has come and gone, and I have been approved, and I did get my room downtown. So, for all six days, five nights. So I'm pretty happy about that. However, I just wanted to say something about my reaction on there. When I was listening to it back, I'm like, oh my god, I did no processing. I didn't speed things up. I didn't change anything. That was literally how freaked out I was before the housing and before registration. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, this week's episode, we have Jason Marker on as our guest, and we're talking about giant robots beating the piss out of each other. How is that not fun? So, anyway, I would actually like you to listen to our sponsors, if you're one of the people who kind of skips ahead a little bit, because we have a bit of a special announcement coming up. So, go ahead, grab a drink from the bar, and take a seat at the table in the corner, and our special announcement will come directly after this word from our sponsor. Hello gamers, I'm Daryl Mott Jr. from Anacool News Tabletop and the Gamers Tavern Podcast, which you probably know because I'm betting I was just talking a second ago. I'm sure you already know about DriveThruRPG as it is the biggest repository for digital copies of your favorite games. Dungeons & Dragons, Shadowrun, Battletech, World of Darkness, Numenera, Fate, and so many more. And sometimes there are pennies on the dollar because, face it, PDFs can sometimes be so much more convenient than print copies, but if you need print copies, they sell those too. So if you want to support the Gamers Tavern podcast, click on the affiliate links in the show notes and check out DriveThruRPG. Gamers Tavern has doubled its listeners in the month of January, so we want to thank you, our loyal fans, for spreading the word. And how are we going to do that? By holding a contest. What do you win? Well, let's start off with a signed copy of Gamers Tavern Award winner for Best Campaign Setting, Accursed, the dark fantasy Savage World campaign where you play the monsters cursed by witches in a land of upheaval from Meliorvia. Next, we have a signed copy of Dementalism, a game of ingenious ingeniousness where you test your memory and unlock special gifts from the insane world of low life from Mother Oith Creations. Oh, we have more. How about a signed copy of Better Angels, a game of supervillainy where you have been tempted by the powers of evil to become a supervillain fighting the heroes from Arc Dream Publications. Then, we have Con on the Cob, a celebration of games, art, freaks, and fun from October 16th through the 19th in Hudson, Ohio. You get a voucher good for one free admission with the purchase of one adult admission. And, to top all of this off, you also get a free iPod shuffle, courtesy of Gamers Tavern, preloaded with the latest episodes of the podcast. So... What do you have to do to win this fabulous package? Well, our gruff tavern keeper has insisted that he be involved. So, all you have to do is send an email to contest at gamerstavern.org 
with the subject line, Mac sent me, with a body including your name, your full mailing address, and your suggestions for how we can make Gamers Tavern even better in the future. This contest is limited to residents of the United States of America and only one entry per person or household. Full rules are available at gamerstavern.org slash contest. Once again, the email address for the contest is contest at gamerstavern.org with the subject Mac sent me. Get your entry in by midnight central time on March 10th for your chance to win the entire package. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Gamers Tavern. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we have with us a returning guest, Jason Marker. Hey guys. Now, you may have heard Jason um, on the show before, but uh, we're just going to ask him for a really brief rundown of his gaming character sheet so the listeners know who he is and where they can find him on the web. Okay. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, my name is Jason Marker. I'm a um, freelance game writer and designer from Detroit. My... Uh, history in the business. Well, I've been playing games for almost 30 years now. My history in the business started in 1999 um, when I was first published by Palladium Books in the Rifter. Over that time, I freelanced for Palladium for a while. Um, in 2007, I was hired on full-time as a staff writer, and in my tenure at Palladium, I brought the new Robotech RPG back to market. Um, since Parting with Palladium Books in 2009, I've been mostly with Fantasy Flight Games, working on all of the Warhammer 40k games, uh, as well as the new Star Wars RPG. Uh, aside from that, I did Accursed with Ross. Uh, I've done um, a few other things. I can't remember off the top of my head, a little bit of Shadowrun 4. You know, I work on my own stuff. Awesome. Actually, we were just talking before the show about Accursed because the books are now out. And Yes. I uh, took my copy around to ChupacabraCon last weekend. And oh, yeah? Off. Yeah. How'd they uh, like it? Everybody seemed to say uh, that they thought it was awesome and the, the artwork looked really great. I got to meet actually one of our backers. Oh, Chupacabra. cool. Yeah. Which one? Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name, unfortunately. Uh, oh. but, but he did introduce himself as a backer and he gave me a dice for the Lone Star Savages organization here in Texas. Oh, cool. And it was fantastic meeting one of our backers, uh, for the show, uh, for the, for the, epi- sorry, for the, uh, for the Kickstarter. I'll get right. it eventually <laughs> for the Kickstarter. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a new review up. Yeah. I read that review today. That's pretty hot. And yeah. Well, they, they mentioned us as a Kickstarter success story, which I yeah. thought was one of the best parts of it. Yeah. And there's probably going to be another review coming up hopefully this weekend. I did my second read through of Accursed so oh. I can start taking notes for my full review. Nice. So, awesome. L- let me just say right off the top of the bat, I wrote everything that you like. <laughs> well, did you write the entire damn book then? Because, <laughs> oh, seriously, it, it, all the parts, all the parts that you like. <laughs> <laughs> all right, one last thing about a cursor, then I'll shut up about it. I promise. <laughs> um, Chris Avalone was on the show a while back uh, recently, and he mentioned that he really loved what you did with Bobby Aga. Oh, did he? Yeah, he, he loved the whole thing with what's going on with her and, and the land that she's tied to. Oh, so, man. Yeah. That's cool. I'll have to drop him a line on Twitter and say hey again. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I'm d- I promise I'm done talking about a cursed. <laughs> um, but, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming back to the show. Um, we're glad to have yeah, you with for, us again. Thanks for having me. Uh, tonight's show is going to be all about giant stompy robots, which is something you know quite a bit about. I do. It's fair to say I know a little bit about giant robots. 
Uh, Daryl, what about you? you? You also got your start with Giant my, Stompy Robots. My first tabletop game was the second edition of Battletech. So, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, and some of my earliest uh, gaming memories are playing Battletech and Robotech and mixing one up for the other sometimes <laughs> in junior high. It, so. it was easy to do in the old days. <laughs> so, let's talk about mech games, actually. I think probably the first thing... Um, well, actually, let's not talk about mech games quite yet because <laughs> there is another thing we need to do before we get right into the meat of that. Um, and I apologize for teasing listeners like that. That's really mean of me. That's really mean of me. I, I'm sorry. Um, the next thing we do, actually, we're, we're trying to get into this like whole, like, we're trying to get into this habit of doing the same things every time in the podcast. And, uh, so far it's been defeating me at every turn. But the, the next thing we do after we introduce our guests is we, we like to ask, what have you been playing lately? So, I'm going to go first because I've been doing a whole shitload of stuff. Um, <laughs> ChupacabraCon was last weekend. And this was the first local game con to Austin I've ever been to. It was actually really, really cool. Uh, they put it up in the airport Hilton and they had games running Friday night, all day Saturday, and Sunday morning. Which I thought was pretty cool. Not bad for a first time that this was ever running. Oh, that's it was their first year. Yeah. yeah they they, 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 they oh. kick-started the con, too. They, oh, well, wow. they, they didn't fund, they, Oh, they didn't? No. Oh, damn it. But nevertheless, uh, they did a good job and they had, uh, a lot of good guests. Aaron Alston was there. Ernie Klein was there. Chris Pramus. Uh, some guys I'd never met before. Aaron Doriv, who's really cool. Donna Pryor. Um, some, some young novelists were there. Some guys from Evil Hat. Unfortunately, I don't remember their names, but it's all on the website for Jupiter Capricorn. And me. I was one of the guests. So, mm-hmm. you know, things went well. I played a game of Durance is what it's called. It's a game by one of the other guests, Jason Morningstar. He did Fiasco. Endurance is like an evolution of Fiasco. Um, it was really, really cool. Although the game, uh, be, being a GM-less game and being sort of about a prison colony in space, uh, <laughs> it devolved into cannibalism and murder pretty quickly. <laughs> Within the first five minutes, I'd assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of awesome. I really enjoyed myself. So you couldn't get that Lord of the Flies license for that one? <laughs> And then right after that, uh, I played in a giant robot arena battle uh, run by Aaron Alston, uh, where we had two giant robots duking it out in the arena. Nice. I got my butt kicked pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you're in one of those nights where the dice are just not going to help you at all. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty much, much every bad. single night I'm not I'm behind there. the DM screen. Uh, you know, I, I just couldn't help myself with saying, well, that's an average roll. That's an average roll. That's a way below average roll. That's an average roll. That's a way below average roll. You know, <laughs> just keeping track as I went. Um, all day Saturday, I was, I was in uh, panels from the morning to the evening. So we did uh, panels on world building and panels on how you become a creative guy in this industry, things like that. It was, it was really exciting, really fun. I got to meet a lot of great people. The guys who run, uh, who created a game called Tefra which is an RPG. It's like a steampunk RPG. They were there. And I got to say, one thing that's really interesting about those guys, they take steampunk seriously. Like there's a requirement that if you work at this company, it's called Crack Monocle, you must have magnificent facial facial hair. <laughs> uh, the, the creator of the game, uh, Daniel Burroughs, he's got these just gorgeous mutton chops. You know, you want to just and you want to just like grab them, you know? <laughs> and if you're at a con in Texas, for the most part, the Tefra guys are tip- almost always going to be there. And I got to say, you want to talk about dedication. These guys will wear a three piece suit dedicated. to yeah. a fucking summer con. Yeah. In Texas. Yeah. I don't even wear my suits and I always wear suits. 
Aside from that, I just want to say we're still gearing up for Torg. I got to make my character the other night, and we're going to be talking more about that campaign and hopefully starting it this weekend. And next weekend, it looks like I'm going to be playing Rafe, that Shadowrun character I mentioned last episode. Oh, nice. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be playing him in a Skype game. So, you know, that's what's going on with me as far as uh, gaming. I hope to also do uh, a session of our normal Accursive game this Saturday. So how about Jason? What have you been playing? Honestly, I've been busy working on Star Wars stuff. <laughs> I thought you were going to answer with something like saxophone or trombone. I have been playing the saxophone. I've been playing a lot of saxophone. Because um, it's, uh, what's today, the 22nd? Yeah, I got nine days before I fly to the Netherlands. So, What are you going to the Netherlands for? Uh, my band is going on tour in the Netherlands for 10 days. Who's your band? We're called the Detroit Party Marching Band. Uh. We're sort of a punk rock gorilla brass band. Okay, you've piqued my interest with the words punk rock. Uh, I, I, I can get you a link. Please There's lots of a, glitter involved. Lot, lots of glitter. I hate and, glitter. I hate glitter. I hate glitter. Lots of hard liquor. That I like. Uh, so it's, uh, it's good. It's good, good fun. <laughs> uh, aside from saxophone, I've been, honestly, I've been playing a lot of Fallout New Vegas lately. Woo! Chris Avalone uh, says yeah. he can <laughs> uh, I, I got back into it because I, like an idiot, I stumbled into a thread on something awful about modding uh, Fallout, modding the Fallout games, and I, I, I can't not mod. <laughs> <laughs> I think I ended up with something like 130 mods in my load order. Uh, I, I was playing a really good game of New Vegas. I'm almost done with it. I think it's like my fourth playthrough. Uh, but I, I downloaded some new quests and some some new uh, some new quest lines and some really great stuff. I ended up with a uh, companion who is a near sentient spore plant. Wow. Named named Audrey. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And you deploy her like a mine, <laughs> right? So you toss her on the ground in the, in the middle of a bunch of enemies, and she pops up, and um, she learns and she grows as you play her, and you have to feed her. So you feed her different kinds of meats, but then every so often she'll like wig out and dig through your pack looking for something. And she's a little telepathic, so she'll send you pictures of what she's looking for. And she's looking for a laser pistol and a laser rifle and a missile launcher and a baseball and all this other crap. And like she eats your laser pistol and then she'll start spitting lasers. Wow. <laughs> right? Or she'll, she'll eat your 10 millimeter submachine gun and start, you know, shooting bursts of 10 millimeter at your enemies. And it's, it's hysterical. It's That's, absolutely hysterical. That sounds pretty cool. We um, we talked to Chris about some of the things he did with Fallout Three specific or Fallout New Vegas, I should say, mm-hmm. specifically uh, like how you interact with Ulysses. That guy, man. Before you even meet him, though, you right, yeah, you 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 get to interact with him through his, the symbols he leaves behind, which I thought mm-hmm. was really cool. Yep, that guy. This 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 playthrough, uh, I actually killed him. Wow. Yep. I'd I'd had enough. <laughs> he, you you said message received and then I had, shot him right in the head, right? I had had enough of his bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Does, is that it? Do you want? Are you? Is that what you've been playing lately? That's mostly what I've been playing lately. Other than working on Star Wars, I'm running a bunch of Star Wars games at Gen Con this year. So uh-huh. I've been sort of making notes and outlines for my con games. Yeah. All I, right, Daryl, what I, have you been playing? I am stressing so bad about Gen Con because I've never been. And it's my first year that I'm really have the chance to go. I You'll be fine. Well, there's like all this. I don't. 
there's not enough information on the website for everything I need and everyone I talk to doesn't seem to know because they're all guests and they're not media. So, and I'm media. So I don't, and it's like really stressing me out because I'm like, I, but, but, but yeah, the, the registration isn't open until the 26th and the, but the hotel's open the 28th and are they going to approve my press pass and t- enough time for me to get an access code to be able to go to a hotel and where am I going to sleep? I'm going to sleep in the middle of the conventions or no, they'll kick me out. Of- so Dude, yeah, I've been kind chill. of freaking out about that. Chill um, out, man. It's going to be fine. I, I'm, I'm sure it will, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a warrior when it comes you to know, things actually, that I really care about. I've actually so. been to Gen Con as press before. You have? So have I. Yeah, yeah. I went to, I went to his press in, uh, 2004. I was working for Games Workshop's White Dwarf at the time. So I said, Hey, I work for White Dwarf. I want to go in as press. And they said, sure. Hmm. Jason, how did you get in as press? I asked for press credentials as part of, uh, Motor City Gameworks. Ah, your, your blog my, and my old blog. Yeah. Your old blog. Yeah. The reason why the thing that's stressing me out isn't so much getting in because I'm pretty sure I can, I've got enough leverage to be able to get in, but it's the hotel room that's freaking me out because I hear rumors of, oh, all the hotels and all of Indianapolis are going to sell out in like 15 minutes. It's it's true that you need to get a hotel room early. It is true for that. However, there, there are ways and means to get one if you run out. Last couple of years, I ended up staying at the La Quinta, which is actually, about 20 minutes away from the convention center. And it's remarkably comfortable. I have nothing but good things to say about the La Quinta. And they run a bus back and forth, so you're not going to miss out or anything. Okay, good. Just because your hotel's not connected to the, well, that's, the that's the other thing I'm worried about is because I don't drive. So You'll be fine. I'm always... You will be fine. Where do you live that you can survive not driving? Orange, Texas, which surprisingly enough is not a public transportation-friendly town. It just, uh, I, yeah. It's just, I just so happened to be able to carpool to my new job. I've got my new job is right across the street from a, a big supermarket that has some really nice stuff right next door to a drugstore. So I can, okay, lunchtime, let me walk over and get what I need and stash it and then bring it home with me with carpool. So how much you want to bet he goes to the drugstore instead of the department store? A lot. <laughs> well, the. <laughs> Well, the I'm drug sorry, that I, 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 I have to, I have to cross a seven lane road to get to the grocery store. Plus, you can't exactly buy a lot of groceries because they need to be refrigerated. So, we were just making a joke about how you're a druggie. That's all it is. I'm not a druggie. I'm a drunk. There's a difference. <laughs> oh no, I wasn't suggesting he was a, a, a drug addict. I was suggesting he was just a gamer and lazy. And, wow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, the drugstore's this, close enough. This escalated yeah. quickly. <laughs> Yeah, right. as, as far as what I've actually been playing, again, I gotta say, I haven't been playing much. Like I said, I read through Accursed for the second time. I've, I've been trying to catch up on my, I've got a stack of stuff I just have not been able to get to because of how crazy the holiday season's been, of uh, games that I need to play to review for the site and books I need to read for it. So I'm starting to work through that queue. I did a lot of work on the website that, uh, you may notice, actually, you probably won't notice because it's all behind the scenes stuff. But I spent about three hours on that today. But I promise it's better. <laughs> it is. It is much better. You just won't notice how better it is. Because, <laughs> uh, like I said, it's all behind the scenes. It has to do with our advertising and sponsors and reorganizing how stuff shows up and everything. But And I'm also setting up stuff for a couple of ideas I have that I'm not ready to announce yet that we're going to be expanding into. But uh, one thing I... My, we're recording this on January 22nd. My birthday is January 25th, which is the Saturday. And I have, this is my first year where I, and normally I plan out my birthday like three weeks in advance. I've got reservations. I got big, huge party plans. I know exactly what I'm doing. This year, I haven't figured out anything. And today, I just decided when I'm sitting at work, it's like, 
what do I really want to do for my birthday? I just want to play a shitload of games. So that's my that's, plan. That's I'm, not a bad, that, that's a great plan. I've got, I've got a stack of about eight board games I got over the holidays. Plus between my birthday and Christmas, I've got like a stack of books. I've got all these plans for games I want to run, all these plans for games, I'm, RPGs I want to play. I'm just going to wake up on my birthday and start fucking playing games and just, that's all I'm doing until I pass out that night. Sounds like a good plan to me. Except for a break at midnight when I run and go, or 11, well, no, they're in Central Time, so midnight I'm going to run and register for Gen Con. Then I'm going to go back and go play more games. Uh, if that is what you've been playing lately, we should probably dive right into the meat of our topic, which is uh, Giant Robot slash Mecha slash Mech. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of different names I'm not thinking right now. Exoframe, I think, is one. But basically, if it's Giant Robot and it's in a role-playing game, that's what we're here to talk about tonight. And I kind of want to define a term real quick. What exactly is the difference between a mech or a mecha and, you know, like power armor? Well, power armor you wear. Mecha you pilot. That is the commonly accepted <laughs> definition as far as I'm aware is that if you are sitting in a cockpit and it's still shaped like a giant robot, it's a it's a giant robot or a mecha. Yeah. If you are wearing it like a suit and it's shaped like a giant robot, then it's power armor. Iron Man power is power armor. armor. Voltron is a giant robot. Okay, but I kind of thought there'd be a little bit more in-depth discussion on that one, but that sums it up perfectly right there. Okay. Well, some <laughs> games do have a little more granular definitions. Actually, like the one that comes to mind. I, okay, so I, like before the show, I made a list of game role-playing games that have giant robots in them as a uh, a big big deal. Okay, and one of those games is Rifts. Yes. Now, Rifts has both giant robots and power armor in it, and they have a definition of both of them, which is actually really interesting. And it seems to be not only what we just said about, you know, whether you're sitting in a cockpit, but also there's a size thing in Rifts. Like, it's not really a mecha unless it's a certain size or bigger. There's there's also something that always really bothered me about Rifts was, like, um, a lot of the suits, you're you're not really wearing them but they're still powered armor like some of these suits are 10 and 12 and 14 feet tall and they're still classified as powered armor but like uh like what oh, man the Ult- i think it's the ultimax yeah the ultimax is the you okay. sit in yeah. a cockpit yeah there's there's a there's a very specific power armor suit called the ultimax that was published in the uh source the first source book for riffs and i remember reading it when it first came out and going to myself, huh? Because they yeah. describe it. It's, it's listed under the power armor section, but then they go on to describe that you're, you're sitting in a cockpit and it's when you're 16 driving. feet tall. And then they, they even mention, and this is like the, the funny part is like they even talk about it in the description that like the, the, the people who sell it don't really know which category to put it in. You know? <laughs> <laughs> even the guys who were like selling it to you are like, well, it's sort of one and sort of the other. And, Reminds me of that car commercial from, I think it was about eight or nine years ago, where someone d- drives away with something, and so they're trying to describe the car. And it's like, well, it's it's a car, but it's an SUV, but it's not an SUV, and it's not a car, and it's like, that's called a station wagon. Yes. Well, okay, here's something that's interesting as well, on the same topic of, of power armor and, and, and giant robots. Um, if you look at, and this is something I think Jason will have a good perspective on, if you look at the uh, Robotech line, in Macross, there is basically no such thing as powered armor. It's all giant robots all the right. time. Right. And you go to Southern Cross, and it's still mostly true that if you're 
piloting uh if you're piloting something that looks like a giant robot, like nine times out of ten, it's a giant robot. Well, I mean, when you look at the source material, when you look no, at no, 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 that's s- fine. Then you get to the third generation, though. That's Crusher Joe, isn't it? No, I might think the, it's, the, no, no, I think it's something completely different. Okay, yeah, no, the the third the third section of Robotech is uh, Genesis, Genesis Climber, Climber Mos Mos Beta. Beta. and that's what's right. really interesting about that is the majority of the action of that show takes place. On a power armored scale, and the and not, I would and I would even just, say the main feature of that game is the power, which is the cyclone. It's the motorcycle right. that turns into power armor. Exactly. Let's let's we can't belabor that point enough. It's not just a suit of powered armor. It is a high performance multi role motorcycle that turns into a suit of power. Yeah, I mean it's not just a motorcycle and power. Armor. It's a motorcycle that, that transforms into power armor. Yes. And that's freaking badass. And then it <laughs> folds up into a then it folds up into a cube and you could put it in a special compartment in your airplane that also turns into a giant robot. <laughs> but um but Jason, okay, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this because it does change the whole paradigm of Robotech as far as like how you play when you get into that third generation because of the emphasis on the cyclones and the emphasis on that scale. Is that, would you agree with that? Well, I mean, most beta is a much smaller scale. Uh, I'm, I'm going to re- continue to refer to them by their sort of source material names. Mm-hmm. Most, most beta is a smaller scale story and it's a smaller scale, it's smaller scale action than Macross, right? Cause Macross is top gun in space with lasers. You know, it's a it's a carrier drama. Agreed. You know, Mospita is guerrilla fighting. I don't think the ac- the action isn't any less exciting in Mospita, but it's more personal. And thus, the emphasis on the power armor over the mecha. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I think I think Mospita did a really good job of showing that the alphas, um, the alpha strike fighters, and the betas are kind of useless on world. You know, on, on the planet, they're too big, they're too ostentatious, they, they take too much energy to run. You know, you sort of need them for the shock and awe, right. if you will. But most of your heavy lifting is going to be done by the cyclones. It's going to be done on that personal scale. And, you, you know, know even, to- the, even the Invid mech, you know, the Invid mech are small compared to, right. you know, the Regals from Macross. And I think there's a, a point I want to bring around to this as well is that you can kind of hold up a mirror to the progression of the Robotech RPG from Giant Robot to, to Power Armor and also show that in the Mech Warrior role playing game. Because a Mech Warrior starts out in a period of time where battle mechs are the only real giant robots you've got. Oh man, do we have to talk about clans? <laughs> yes. Well, I think we, we have, have to talk to about clans because, because they introduced. <laughs> To the to the BattleTech universe, they're the ones who introduce the, the elementals, of powered armor. Mm-hmm. And once you get that, now you're when you when you're talking about the role playing game of BattleTech, which is Mech Warrior, or later on a uh, Time of War, that is actually a much bigger deal in the role playing side than on the tabletop side. And then they also have the Proto Mechs that come in in the later would, era. In yeah, the, I'd argue that those are less. It's it's, uh, it's it, the whole idea behind them was supposed to be kind of like a middle ground between power armor and okay. mechs, but they're still mechs. They're, that's why they call them proto mechs. Daryl, you're not wrong. They do exist. My 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 thinking though is that they're so rare and so little known mm. in the universe that I think that they're a much smaller factor. Well, is all I'm saying in, in the fiction, most likely, but not in the games I play. <laughs> okay. 
Fair enough. You've probably played more uh, MechWarrior games than I have, actually. So uh, there's that. Yeah, the second they show up, everyone's like, ooh, I want to play one of these. Because you can play, like, 80 of them for one, like, Warhammer. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, so, so we've, we've kind of talked about that. Now, I think a really good question to ask, and I want to put this out to Jason and then Daryl. What makes a game about giant robots and or power armor? I'm just going to combine them together for the purposes of this discussion. What makes a game about giant robots so appealing compared to other sci-fi genres? Um, I kind of have an answer to that. Uh, they're Go ahead. giant fucking robots. Come on. <laughs> How is that not awesome? Bad. It's giant robots kicking the shit out of each other. How can that not be cool? There was a, gi- there was a movie that was built around the idea of Battletech versus Godzilla that came out this summer called Pacific Rim. And, and it, it was, was awesome. Okay. It, the, the I, I fight there for scenes a were gonna reference <laughs> robot jocks. <laughs> robot jocks? Yeah, I'd rather watch robot jocks. Oh my gosh. Uh, don't say the round of my editor. <laughs> now, now I'm not, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. It is kind of by the numbers, but I'm talking about just the scenes with the giant robots beating the hell out of giant monsters and vice versa. Come on. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. I could watch a movie that's nothing but 180 minutes of Cherno Alpha beating the shit, <laughs> punching the shit out of monsters <laughs> for Mother Russia. Okay, so we all agree that they're cool. Yeah. Yes. Right? That's, that's maybe the biggest reason is just because they're cool. I'm actually going to go a little further though. You know, in a lot of sci-fi games, uh, other sci-fi genres, I would even say, um, whenever you're talking about like the big pieces of technology, you're usually talking about like a spaceship. Those spaceships can range from the Millennium Falcon all the way up to the uh, cathedrals in space of Rogue Trader, where you have like you know, tens of thousands of people on board. But in those cases, it feels like a ship. It feels like something that has a crew, right? It doesn't really feel, uh, to, to coin a phrase from Jason, it doesn't feel top gun. And that, that's where I think the giant robot comes in, because it's typically one pilot, and you feel a lot more personal and attached to that. Yeah. It's very much the it's very much the the pilot versus pilot, you know the um, Sky Knight adventures, the Biggles goes to war, you know the real daring, brave, and talented jet pilot or airplane pilot from the war who does battle, you know, with another single pilot. You know, it's almost like it's almost like single combat with knights. It's like World War Two aces. Yeah, in the sky, or, only except or even World War One aces. Yeah. yeah, that's that. That's this whole sky Knights of the Sky thing is the World War One aces, you know, dudes and you know dudes in goggles and white scarves, and it's all officers. They're all gentlemen. They're all lieutenants, and they really took a lot of trappings from at at the time equestrian. They that's where they got the goggles and the leather caps and all that stuff because they kind of had to make up all their traditions on their own on the fly because planes were only invented like. Not even 20 years before when World War One came out. I think it's obvious, but we should probably say it anyway. But it's obvious that giant robot games owe an awful lot more to anime than they do to World War One. They actually do. And if you want to trace the origins, they owe a lot more to World War Two because a lot of Japan's technological obsession comes from the fact that before World War Two, Japan typically is a culture where very much warrior pride, samurai. If you believe in what you're doing and you are just, then you will win. And all that spirituality kind of got crushed when we dropped two atomic bombs on them. And they lost the war due to technology. 
So there was a big cultural shift, and you can see that in Godzilla, and you can see that in a lot of the anime, where there was a big shift toward, okay, spirituality isn't going to solve all our problems. How are we going to meld our spirituality with this technology that we now know has all this power? And so that's one of the theories of why there was such a resurgence, especially starting with Astro Boy, and then moving on into Macross and Gundam and all of those. Well, I think I'd like to start maybe going over some of the games that are really involved with giant robots. And I'm going to pick one that um, I've played that I don't think a lot of people have played. And it's a kind of rules light. I, I'm not going to say super rules light, but compared to many of the other giant robot games that are on the <laughs> list, it's pretty rules light. Um, have either of you guys ever played or heard of Jovian Chronicles? I've heard of it. I've never played it. I've heard the name and that's it. So Jovian Chronicles is a sci-fi game about giant robots. It's I would I would classify it as like Gundam plus Traveler, where you have these space... Can you die during character creation? Well, no. <laughs> but there's there's these sort of space nations, and they're sort of still working out pol- political issues. And there's a it's not just about military action. You know, there's a lot of things you can do as a giant robot that aren't just I go to fight for my nation. Jovian Chronicles was was interesting to me as a, it's it's got a it's got kind of a different tone than almost all the other giant robot games that are out there. Uh, I think it was made by the same guys, DreamPod 9, I think it was made by the same guys who do Heavy Gear. It's kind of, it's kind of like a brighter reflection of, of that gritty Heavy Gear style out in space. I don't really have much else to say about it, but I wanted to bring it up as an example of something that I, you know, I want to kind of start from the, the more obscure and move to the more well-known. Yeah, I've never heard of that one, but it sounds kind of interesting. I, I do remember Heavy Gear, though. I, Heavy I Gear can't is remember, great. Yeah, I can't remember much about it, but I do remember it. Now, Heavy Gear has got a couple of different uh, ways to play it. Like, one way to play it is kind of your standard, typical, we are fighting for our nation, we are military guys in giant robots. Uh, there's a planet called Terra Nova that's being fought between the North and South. Different uh, nations are, are, are squabbling. And one of the cool things about it is they have uh, these big-ass deserts, and they have sand ships, like carriers. Imagine the sand crawler from Star Wars, right? But it's treated exactly like a, a, a boat. <laughs> hmm. It's pretty cool. There is also another way to play Heavy Gear, though, that I think is really cool and interesting. I, I'm glad they did it this way. They took that idea of professional duelists, and they took the idea of a... I, I want to say it's more auto-duel. You know, where they have like this idea that there's whole culture of guys that get get up in their giant robots and fight for sponsors, you know, and it's much more corporate. It's much more uh, I think you could tell a really interesting story on like a tournament circuit of duelists who are fighting with that political, ba- uh, uh, you know, background. Well, Battletech had a whole campaign setting based around that Solaris right, 7. Sol- Solaris 7. Yeah, but I, there's a there's a difference there. I think with with heavy gear, they uh, I think they did it in a way that is still is is slightly distinct. I won't say greatly distinct, but it's slightly distinct. In in that it's distinct enough for me to mention it as a as a cool way to play heavy gear. Exactly. And Jason, have you played heavy gear or I haven't played heavy gear, but I've read a lot about it and I've on and off been trying to get some work with DreamPod 9. So. <laughs> yeah, I know next to nothing about it. I know I've read about it at some point in time, but I just, for the life of me, I cannot remember anything. Terra Nova rings a bell. It's a really cool game, and it appeals to my, the mechanic side of me. It, it appeals to my nuts and bolts side, because there's a lot of really cool mechanical techno babble in it. <laughs> just about, just, seriously, just about the way the, just the way, about the way the gears are put together. The, they call them the mecha gears. Right. Uh, you know, 
just the way they're put together and their computers and their drive systems and their their you know the the history of the engines that they use they use multi fuel or they use flex fuel v twin air breathing engines one thing i also like is that all the uh all the ground gears and i like they're almost all ground gears yeah uh, they all have basically a way to drive. I mean, if you, you don't have to walk. Yeah, they, if, they can skate. They can basically, if you, like, let's say you're going on a long trip in your power armor. Well, you wouldn't want to run because, you know, that would, there was a lot of jarring and, and up and down motion and stuff like that. Uh, so they have these wheels and, and motors and stuff built into their feet and they can just sort of kind of, uh, there's like a stable position they can sort of get their legs into and just drive, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Okay, so that's how the gear. There is a another evolution of that called Gear Krieg, which goes back to World War II. And this is I, I honestly know very, very little about Gear Krieg, so I'm just gonna keep very short and say that it exists. <laughs> I like the sound of it. Uh and there's also something that's coming out in the future I just want to make a mention of in the same along the same vein. It's gonna be a dust role-playing game from the uh from Chris Birch over at Modiphius is working mm-hmm. on it. I if I may, if I may mention this, I just talked to Chris Birch about doing some work on Dust and Mutant Chronicles. Hey, hey. nice. So I'm uh, I'm gonna be doing some I'm gonna be doing some uh, diesel powered spaceships and some uh, World War II giant robots. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm I'm stoked. That's awesome. Good good for you, buddy. And uh, so that's gonna take us out of out of the ones that are kind of really obscure. I think we're gonna more or less stick to the really more well known ones mm-hmm. uh, now. What's uh, actually I'm gonna throw this out to our guest, Jason, what's the next game we should talk about, about giant robots? Do you guys know anything about Mecha? The I, game Mecha? I oh, no, I didn't know it, it was... Yeah, there's no. there's one... It's I, I've seen it once, and I know I looked through it, but I can't remember a damn thing. Um, it, it's... My man, my man, Chris Perrin, my good buddy Chris Perrin, it's, it's his baby with his partner. I think their company is Heroic Journeys Publishing. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's a very anime-inspired, rules-light, sort of narrative-driven giant robot game. It very much embraces the silliness of a lot of what I, well, I'm sorry, what I consider the silliness of giant robot games. You know, like, you want to you wanna blow up a giant robot with a pistol? You can! <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? Hmm. Uh, it's, it's a really cool game. I like the rule system. Uh, it's just, it's just a, it's a cool game for light gaming. You know, it's not a serious business, you know, rules heavy, you know, storm and drang kind of game. You know, it's very easy to play. It's very fun. Cool. So yeah, that, that's my shout out for Mecca. <laughs> uh, Daryl, what about you? What's your, if you need to pick a game to talk about that's about giant robots, what would you pick? You probably know what I would pick, but I'm actually going to go for a slightly obscure version of it. Uh, there was a tabletop game that was released by WizKids called MechWarrior Dark Ages. That was one of their clicky games that was based in the Battletech universe. I think it was 120 years in the future of where they'd left off when FASA stopped producing new material. And it was... Mechs have been outlawed for mur- 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 years. No more battle mechs because the what? great, because the great war with Comstar was so horrible and we united in the, in the new, new, new Star League and there's peace and prosperity. And of course that doesn't last very long in the Battletech world. And they start going to war again, except for now they're having to 
there's not really a lot of giant mechs in the first set. There's a lot of vehicles and tanks and infantry, but, and most of the mechs are either ones from way back when that still, that barely runs that and been maintained. They're having to be dragged out of mothballs or they're like, um, agricultural or construction mechs that have been retrofitted with weapons. And then they eventually move in where, okay, yeah, now they've ramped up production and now here's your, here's your Warhammer, here's your Battlemaster, here's your Mad Cat. Without getting too in depth into that, I think it's fair to say that the Dark Age storyline and the Dark Age setting in general is a fairly controversial topic amongst Battletech fans. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. And I could deal with some of the stuff they did with the setting for that if it weren't for the fact that they made a miniatures game for Battletech with cheap pre-painted plastic miniatures that didn't look absolutely horrible. And they scaled them 20% too big to use in the classic Battletech game. Well, let's, uh, you know, let's explore that, that role-playing side of it because, you know, of course, the, the, the giant robot game for Battletech, the, the miniature game, had the RPG side, which is uh, MechWarrior and the Time of War. And you got your start playing MechWarrior, isn't that right? Uh, I'd never actually played the MechWarrior RPG until after I'd played Shadowrun, but I have played it a couple of times. Um, I was much more into the tabletop version of it, except for, I, I don't really count my what we did, because it was more like choose-your-own-adventure than it was an actual role-playing game. We didn't do dice, we didn't have really characters, because we were, like, 11 years old, we didn't know any better. Okay. And, but, I had a crap load of the Mech Warrior books, and I read them a lot. Well, let me, it, I'm going to throw out some stuff about, about Mech Warrior, because I did try to play it. I think the system always, now, specifically Mech Warrior, not a time of war, but the, the system always kind of threw me off a little bit. I didn't, I didn't really care for the way that the uh, the system was was made, and I'm just going to say it, it was not made for people like me. I'm not going to say it was good or bad. The thing I always thought was weird, and I don't know if this is true for you, but uh, the thing was for me that was weird is that whenever we would go into battle in our mechs, mm-hmm. we would just play BattleTech. Yep, <laughs> that's what pretty much everyone did. And here's the biggest problem with that system is. There were two different skill sets for piloting and gunnery, and the MechWarrior system did not cross over to the Battletech system. So your character's stats that you worked so hard to build up experience points to uh, improve them didn't transfer to the game properly because the they weren't parallel in any way, shape, or form. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that that's the thing I felt was kind of a missed opportunity with, with MechWarriors. You know, if, if that's what people were going to do, is play Battletech to simulate the, the battles between giant robots. I really wanted to see a way to bring over some of the creativity and the, you know, like we talked about um, recently, you know, like defining what an RPG is for me, right? Mm-hmm. Is coming up with a creative solution to a problem. And I always wanted to be able to do that in my giant robot, right? I mean, that's the, that's one of the things I think is fun is in a mecha game is come up with some, something creative to do. Um, well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, the answer to everything when you're in a giant robot is punching that's not true i mean like if you look at gundam, physical combat right? is dishonorable no 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 if you look at if you look at gundam right some of the things they do in in battles isn't just shooting at each other like there's a scene where this guy uh unloads a clip into the ground to raise up a smoke screen so that he can hide right i think that's awesome how come that well how come that mech wasn't equipped with uh with smoke launchers well you know i don't know <laughs> 
But the, but I think the point is is that's a that's a cool way to do something you know interesting and that isn't just so, I shoot the other guy. Jason, are, are you were you ever in the military? No. Ross, why wasn't the the mech com- equipped with smoke guns? Because some I, officer somewhere decided to send them to another troop. Well, okay. You know, that's that's getting into the whole culture of Gundam and like the differences between Gundams and Zaku's and like that's well, a no. I'm, I'm talking about just militaries in general. Right, right. Some no. some brass upstairs oh, no, didn't pay attention watch. to what's going on in the gr- in the ground. Well, and there's I mean there's more that needs to be said here. Okay, honestly, seriously, if we're gonna look at this, like in the Gundam universe, they have this stuff called Minovsky particles, and what Minovsky particles do is they make radar useless. So things that you and I would think of as being pointless tricks in a power armor com- uh, combat like smoke like putting up debris uh, be, would be easily defeatable by things like thermal imagers and radar and all kinds of gear that we have and use in our modern militaries but in the in the Gundam universe that does not work it, it allows you to have cool battles with high-tech stuff like beam sabers and rockets and giant robots but they get to use more primitive practical tactics like I'm going to put smoke or you know, in this case, debris from the ground up into the air, and it's going to physically stop your pilot from seeing it. And I know Battletech in the in the game rules had a lot of stuff like that. I don't know if they had anything that actually explained why the radar and everything else wasn't useless, because a lot of Battletech is played at ranges that, even in the 80s when it was designed, make no sense because we were dealing at that point in time with ranges in miles and kilometers, not in, you know, meters, not 30 meters away. Well, not- I think, yeah. The thing I want to take away, I want hopefully you guys to take away from what I said, though, is I think that's that's my biggest disappointment with Mech Warriors that I didn't feel like I was, it didn't feel like the game was giving me any tools to allow me to do anything creative in the Mech Battles. And I'm just going to leave that there. So now you, could, you could run the Battletech the, the mech combat in mech warrior, but I tried it once and I gave up after about 30 minutes because it just sure you had a lot more freedom, but it just wasn't as fun because of the way the rules weren't built for that. It's fair so to it, say one of my least favorite ways to role play giant robots is with the, the mech warrior system. Now classic, the classic Battletech RPG, A Time of War, did fix a lot of those problems, but not a hundred percent. It's, well, it's got its own issues. Yeah. Um, I, let's probably save that for like an actual review of the game at some yeah. point, but it's like, like, uh, the only thing I'll say that, that comes right off the top of my head with, with A Time of War. Um, Jason, are you familiar with playing Battletech at all? Have you played Battletech? You know, I've played a handful of games. I never owned any of the books. I never owned any of my own, own miniatures. Right. But I had friends back home in my hometown that if I showed up to their apartment one, two o'clock in the morning, there'd be a Battletech map laid out. <laughs> so you're and familiar it, it, with the, the core mechanic? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 2D6, been a while, but yeah. It's 2D6 and add. Yeah. It, that's the core mechanic. Well, the core mechanic for a time of war is 2D6 and subtract. Yeah. That's a little... Counterintuitive. It's, yeah, that's that's kind of my problem with it. Okay, so let's you know, <laughs> it feels like we're it's only going to get more awkward if we keep talking about Mech Warrior because I I really love BattleTech. I love the universe of BattleTech. I love the writing of the like stories, and I love the whole background, and I love even I even love some of the mechs. I think the mechs are freaking awesome. And originally, one of our guests was supposed to be Randall Bills, the uh, kind of BattleTech guru. Um, so I feel a little guilty like slamming Mech Warrior, but. Um, <laughs> 
Well, I think I'm, I'm going to pick another one. Let's talk about then, <laughs> since Jason got to pick and Daryl got to pick. Well, Daryl, do you have anything more you wanted to say about it before we move well, on? It, while we're talking about McMortar, I really do want to talk about the actual BattleTech game itself, though. The tabletop game. It was okay. it was some of the most fun I ever had growing up. Was playing that game because it was. It's a super cool game. It was it was kind of like chess, except for you're in giant robots. And it, like I said, I never, that's pretty much the only miniature game I've ever really played when it comes to, you know, I, I've never played Warhammer, I've never played War Machine, never played, uh, Malifaux. So I don't really know if, I'd probably fall in love with those games if I could ever get miniatures painted. But I really loved Battletech. It was just so much fun to sit there and play this. And the way the universe was written was so much fun too, because it wasn't just, uh, this army's fighting this army. Each, army had its own system set up and all the mechs were treated like world war one aces or like knights uh in in house davion you were basically a knight if you owned a suit of a, a, a battle mech well, because well that depends on the era daryl you're I'm, I'm talking you're, about you're, early you're spinning on. off the, you're spinning off 3025 and we need yes. to make it clear to our readers <laughs> our listeners i should say we're going to need to make it clear to our listeners that Battletech we're talking, we're talking great pre deal common, of different eras com- that each have their own characterization. Yeah, we're talking pre-Federated Commonwealth here. Uh, but they, if you had, it was, it was treated like you having full set of armor back in the medieval days. You had power, you had a title. You, that got you land, that got you political power. It's fair to say I'm also a big fan of the 3025 era. So. And, I absolutely love the 3050 era when the clans showed up, which is what all the needling between Jason and I have been is I don't think he's a big fan of the clans. Not really. <laughs> I, I liked it because it really introduced something new. I, I like because one of the fun things about Battletech is being able to make your own mechs. I spent countless hours just sitting there fiddling around. Okay. I'm a little over on tonnage. Let me take this one out and put this in instead and just fiddling with all those things. This is pre all the little software that automated all this. I'm doing this on notebook paper well, trying to figure all these calculations. And it was just the, so much fun. The introduction of the clans though. Um, the, the troublesome thing about the introduction of the clans wasn't their story. wasn't the idea. The troublesome thing was that they all had a much higher technology base. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter was that a clan mech was just better. Yes. In almost every way than an interstellar mech. And, this and they had the ability to produce their equipment, which is what I liked about the earlier Battletech stuff, which is where, oh, we can't build this mech anymore because the technology is lost and the factory that was built to make the armor plates doesn't exist anymore. It was blown up in this great famous battle. Well, some people really like that part, Jason. I'm just going to throw that out there. But I like that part a lot. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you like the Mad Max sort of? Yeah. You know, okay. I like Mad Max with giant robots. Like the fact the fact that a 500 year old mech is a lot better than a brand spanking new one because they hadn't lost the technology yet. Exactly. Now well, I, the, I do appreciate that aspect of it too, but I liked the clans, and I think one of the big problems a lot of people have with the clans isn't necessarily that they had better tech, but that a lot of people didn't use the balancing factor against that was that they had very very strict rules they had to follow in combat. Well, no, Daryl, that's Nobody's I don't getting, think that's the issue, honestly. Uh, okay, yes, that was intended to be the balancing factor, but what it meant was you had to take your casual game of fighting giant robots and add yet another layer of stuff to remember on top. And there's also the fact that gamers are not going to do that. 
it, it, take it, that rule yeah. and they're going to throw it out the window. Lim- limiting yourself tactically when you have all these fun toys to play with is kind of the opposite of fun. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was like, wow, that's really cool that I have all this great gear, but there's no way I'm just going to, you know, sort of re- have all my decisions dictated for me by this code of honor. And it's part of the reason why I'm probably looking at it through a little bit more of a nostalgia filter is that's also when I, I, I started you to really get player, into, I was a clans player. You were, okay. And I also got into the game right around the time that the clan invasion happened in the storyline of the game. Uh, it was like, I was at, I'd, about two or three years after I got into it. And that's when I was kind of at my pink of Battletech obsession was right in the middle of the clans. And, if we had inner sphere mechs, we were fighting other inner sphere mechs. We were playing clans, we were fighting other clan mechs. So we never had that mixed together thing. And of course, we did ignore those bachelor rules as well. And all the <laughs> right, codes so, of honor. But we had yeah. equal tech versus equal tech. So that yeah, might have something to do with why yeah. I don't have the same well, reaction you guys that's, do. That's the default that we ended up playing anyway, just because we all realized that the code of honor rules really weren't that much fun. <laughs> That's, that's, I mean, that's kind of the core of why I think people have a bad taste in their mouth about the clan is that it just, it changed the game, the way the game was played so radically. Hmm. Uh, because, yeah, you know, you used to have, you used to have a very, you used to have an idea of what Battletech was about, right? Like how it worked. Then the clans come along and all of a sudden you've got power armor dudes jumping around. You've got artillery mechs, you know, dropping laser guided rockets on your head. And then you got this, you know, then you, then you have that, you get the weird layer of the of the code of honor system, and then if you wanted to f- have a balanced fight between clan and inner sphere, and even if you didn't want to deal with the code of honor, there was that. You know, people were like they weren't used to thinking in terms of stuff like battle value. They were used to thinking in terms of tons because everything was balanced against each other. Ba- battle value just came came out a little bit after the clans, didn't it? That was like that was like mid third edition of the tabletop game, wasn't it? Honestly, I couldn't tell you when it showed up, but I think it was Battle Force Second Edition is when they started having the value. Of it. My point is, is that there really wasn't a way to balance mm-hmm. before Battle Value and even after Battle Value. People just weren't used to thinking that way, and I think that's why it sounds like I'm dumping all over the clans. So I want to, again, I want to be clear. I think the clans are really cool. I think their idea was great. I just think the implementation into the way the game was played had some unforeseen and unfortunate consequences. So, what do you think about how it ended up? getting balanced out toward later in the game after the after the piece and after the inner sphere started basically reverse engineering all the clan tech and coming up with new stuff that the clans didn't have and they started having the basically almost the same level of tech did that did that kind of fix it for you or were you just out of it by then well honestly i'd kind of moved on to other games i'd moved on to uh to stuff that resolved faster than BattleTech. i mean BattleTech's a fun game but if you play a, a more than four on four you're talking about a really really long game and sometimes even four on four can be a really long game uh, because of the way the game is set up. It's kind of a it's kind of a battle of attrition where I, I knock a little armor off you, I knock a little armor off of you. I still remember we played a sixteen on sixteen once in high school over a weekend. Yeah, so oh, I, whole weekend. We had, you know, yeah, was, we had to we had to leave the table <laughs> set up whenever we were just like sitting there. Okay, one of us is going to fall asleep and knock the pieces over. We need to go to bed. And I'm just going to point out that in our show about the Gamers Tavern Awards, which is going to be up. Uh, it's It was up right before this episode. Oh, well, there you go. The Gamers Tavern Awards, we actually talk about Alpha Strike, which is the new way to play Battletech that just came out this uh, last year. And it is awesome. It is so quick to play. It is so elegant. It is so simple. 
It is fast, furious fun. It is everything I wanted out of Battletech. So if you guys hear us talking about Battletech and talking about like, you know, it takes a really long time and it's complex, um, don't, don't think that we don't like Battletech. Think that you should check out Alpha Strike instead because it's, it's pretty sweet. It's the first big major <laughs> overhaul to the rule system aside, not counting the clicky system since the game was created right. in 1984. Yeah. So, so check out Alpha Strike. That's, that's my final word on that. Okay. So anything more about Mech Warrior? No, I think we pretty much covered everything at this point. All right, let's let's uh, let's go back and talk about something we we just briefly kind of glossed over early with that question about power armor and and uh, giant robots. The Rift role playing game has a pretty hefty uh, focus. I mean, while while it is a kitchen sink system, and while it does have like magic and psionics and you know all kinds of stuff, uh, you, you know you've got crazy ninja cyborg you know dragons in it, right? Giant robots and mecha are are surprisingly a big part of that game, and I say surprisingly because it's a pleasant surprise to me. I, I enjoy the fact that one of the big deals in in, uh, in Rifts is that you can play a guy like right straight out of the core book. They have a guy called the Glitter Boy Pilot, which is a special kind of power armor. I just I really like the fact that in a world full of dragons and giants and you know evil wizards and shit, you know a, a perfectly a perfectly normal answer is I'm going to get my giant robot and fight them off to protect my village. Pretty much, yeah. No, some of the some of my very favorite giant robots are out of Rifts. They have a really nice selection of really cool looking uh, of really cool looking designs. Yeah, I I, th- I think my favorite giant robot in Rifts is the um, what is it, the NGV seven. It's uh, made by Northern Gun. They call it it's the Hunter. It's basically a walking artillery piece. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, it's sort of wasp wasted and has that huge 120 millimeter Rhine metal yeah. cannon on its head. Yeah, it looks like a rhino <laughs> horn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they got awesome. They got all kind. I mean, like seriously, it runs a gamut from the you know, uh, it, it runs a gamut from power armor to like the Ultimax that you could almost imagine being built someday, to like giant robots shaped like elephants. Yeah, and giant robots shaped like turtles and shit. God, um, I forgot about those. And the Katani, <laughs> the Katani designs from uh, from Atlantis and other stuff. That stuff is really. It's like these weird techno serpent. Yeah. Things they're kind of badass. Newton, I like a lot of the. I like Newton a lot of Ewell the was the artist. Guy, a guy named Newton Ewell was the artist on those, and he just really did a great job with making them look sort of techno organic. I'm uh, I'm Facebook friends with Newt. Okay. And he's a he's a real cool dude. Dude can draw. He certainly <laughs> can. I love all the uh, Triax designs. I think it's cool all that the, they all the German stuff is phenomenal. Well, the the best part, like from an art point of view, is that you can clearly see they're all part of the same faction. Mm-hmm. And like the coalition stuff, you can clearly tell it's all part of the same stuff. And and they did a really good job on that front uh, of their artwork, just making you want to like drive that thing around and blow up bad guys. Well, it all depends on who's drawing it. In this general, is, in say. general, this is this is serious heretical talk right here. But man, Kevin Long's art leaves me cold. <laughs> his robots are so flat. His people are so flat. But like uh, Ramon, I'm, I'm not sure we can be friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Ramon can draw a robot. Ramon, yeah, Ramon, Ramon did the best about. version of the Northern Gun Samson I have ever seen. Just to be clear, we're talking about Ramon Perez. Ramon Perez, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I agree. I agree that he's he is completely badass. Yeah, Ramon. Um, um, but Kevin Long is actually responsible for all those designs and triacs that we were just talking about. I know, and they're phenomenal when they're executed by other artists. <laughs> <laughs> But the basic look, I think you'd have to agree, the basic look designed by Kevin Long does flow really well as they're all part of the same faction. Yeah. Now, there's a great, 
I will say that Long did a great illustration of a Jaeger, which is a suit of German power and armor. And it's sort of like in the hangar, and the pilot's inside of it doing a pre-flight. And there are a couple of technicians standing around it, and one of the technicians has a, a fueling, fueling line hooked up to its leg. And the Jaeger's all opened up, and so you can see inside of it where the pilot is. You know, and the pilot's in there flipping switches, and he's got a big shit-eating grin on his face because, hey, I'm going to pilot this powered armor, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to, you know... I'm gonna, you know, kick, kick a gargoyle's head in. <laughs> now, now, from a like a, a role playing perspective, being a power armor pilot or a robot pilot in riffs is one of the ways you can actually experience both styles of riffs play, where you can be an SDC guy in an SDC world and do normal things with normal people if you want, but you can also suit up in your giant robot and go toe to toe with a gargoyle or a dragon. It's kind of the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. and there's. Like all the giant robots and all the power armor have like these, uh, these really, I mean, if you're into tech, right? Like just the write ups of all the shit that they can do, all the sensors, all the different guns. I mean, they all have multiple weapon systems and multiple reasons to use them. Oh, yeah. The one thing that's always a little weird to me, um, uh, is that you have in Rifts, you have your basic, uh, well, it's not basic, but you have everybody has a hand to hand combat ability. And that's for your, you as a normal person, but that's. If, that's for you on on the ground. Right. But if you drive a suit of power armor or a robot, you have an additional set of, of hand-to-hand that kind of goes on top of that. Robot, The robot combat. It's it's a little clunky because you have to do a, a lot of bookkeeping. Little meaning a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the Palladium system was never, ever meant to have mech combat in it. But they tried their butts they off. They tried their damnedest. It, yeah. But it just it doesn't work. Jason or Daryl, did you have anything more you want to say about Rifts? Because I, I think I've run out. But I, I never got a chance to really play Rifts, so all, all I really know about it is from what I've heard you say about it and my experiences. Really, really, really kind of trying when I was a kid, and a couple of times since I was an adult. And I can't pass the system. Man. <laughs> oh, I should point out that there is a unique form of power armor that Rifts kind of invented. I mean, it's, I, I may be stretching a little bit by saying, you know, how unique and distinct it is, but it's a very significant marker for what is Rifts, right? Is this particular style of power armor, and it's called Samus. Well, the Sams, yeah. The Samus is a type of power armor that stands upright, but flies. So say, like, it doesn't morph into a little ball? And... No, 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 no. It's, no, got, no, a, like, it's got a jetpack, essentially. Yeah. It, well, it's not that, it's not just that, though, because, like, when you imagine a dude with a jetpack, you imagine like the Rocketeer or Superman, and they're always kind of flying with it, thrusting their upper body in a certain direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, when you look at a Samus, it looks like something that's way different than that because you're standing straight up. You're almost like surfing rather than flying with a jetpack because it's pushing directly against your whole body, right? It's pushing you through the air. And honestly, like trying to describe it, it's, if you're interested, listeners, look up all capital letters, S-A-M-A-S, and then the word rifts, and you will find pictures of this thing. Right. And it's, it's, uh, the only reason I mention it is because it is kind of cool and unique and different. That's the only reason I brought it up. My biggest problem with the Sams is, or the Samus suits is, okay, so there's the Samus suit that's in the Rifts core book, and then there's a couple of Sam variants that are in Coalition War Campaign, which are really cool. And then it's like every goddamn faction, <laughs> new faction that comes out in Rifts has a version of the Samus. They're all, that are all descended from the same goddamn pre-war blueprints. Yeah, it seems like, like people like the Samus, what? and they want more of it. Yes. <laughs> Apparently. So Apparently. I th- I th- I'm getting the vibe that you have strong feelings about this, Jason. 
you're going to notice the long, the more you get to know me and the longer <laughs> we hang out, um, I have really strong opinions and I'm not really afraid to share them. <laughs> Especially because I'm like halfway through this, this big rocks glass full of uh, rye whiskey. Ah. So. so yeah, speaking of rye whiskey, I think it's about time for me to get another round. Um, you guys ready for a break? Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife actually finally just got home. So I want to go hear her battle report. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on DriveThroughRPG.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed. And we're back for episode 18, talking with Jason Marker about giant robot games. And something that occurred to me during the break is I want to make it clear to the listeners that it sounds like none of us are actually experts on uh, (laughs) things like MechWarrior and a time of war RPG. So if we get something wrong, like I said, you know, I, I made several statements tonight about like how games work. Um, and if I got something wrong, please don't hesitate to let us know in the comments because I would really love to hear from you. I'm going to tell it's you certainly possible. I got something wrong in those games because I, I am, I am not an expert. I'm going to so. tell you right now that I definitely got some stuff wrong in mech warrior, both probably when I was talking about it and definitely back in the day, because it was one of my first role-playing games, so I was not playing right. It took me years to start learning the actual rules for Shadowrun. So, yeah, MechWarrior, it took me a long time for I actually learned the real rules behind it. So, yeah, I probably said some stuff that wasn't accurate. And, again, rose-tinted glasses and nostalgia filter and all that. But Battletech and Shadowrun are two of my first games. I haven't played a lot of the Battletech role-playing game as an adult, like I have Shadowrun. So, I can't really say one way or the other... If I'm just completely looking at it like, oh, that was so much fun back in the day, pure nostalgia, joy. So take it as you will. I have looked over the new edition of the role-playing game. I really like it. I think it's a good improvement. It's not perfect. I There's a lot I would have done different if I were designing it, but there's a reason why I host a podcast and write a gaming column. Those who can do, those who can't teach, and those who can't do either, go into media. (laughs) All right, well, we just... Before the break, we were talking about rifts. Um, do we have anything more we want to say about rifts and giant robots, or can, do we want to move on? I, I think we've we've I think we've said enough about rifts. And robots. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And before we move on to what I think is probably going to dominate the rest of the discussion, which is I think we've only got one real big mecha oh, no, game no, left. No, oh, there's still there's, another one. There's two left. Two left. Yeah. What's what's the other one that besides the obvious one? Okay, well let me ask you, what's the obvious one? Uh, the one that one of the two of you has worked on before. The other one that I think is a crime if we don't talk about it is Mechton Zeta. Oh, yeah. Me- Mechton in general and Mechton Zeta specifically, which also okay, includes okay. the uh, the Bubblegum Crisis role-playing game that they came out with. Uh, yeah. Please, please yeah, so start. This is one of those, oh, my God, I know this, I know this, I know this, but nothing's coming to me. Please start talking about me. Tell it what it is because it's driving me nuts. Well, the, well, okay, let's. so I guess let's jump into Mechton Zeta. We might as well talk about it now because we're bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> so Mechton and Mechton Zeta. Um, the, Mechton is kind of like one of the early, it's a very early game. I'm not exactly sure of the earliest date when it came out. Um, one of you guys could probably hit Wikipedia and tell me. But it came out 
a while ago. It's it's a property of R. Talsorian Games and was originally designed by Mike Pondsmith. And Mekton is an attempt to take a lot of Nin- great... 1984. Sorry, Ross? Yep, 1984. Mekton Zeta is 1994. Yeah, so the original Mekton 10 years ago, uh, 10 years prior to the Zeta. So 1984, that's 30 years ago. Holy crap. God almighty. Same year as Battletech, for the record. So, so pretty early is what we're I talking got kids, about. I got kids in my band that weren't even born when that game came out. <laughs> I was four. All right, so Mekton is... Allow me to, in, allow me to invite you to get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing about Mekton is it tries to take a lot of the tropes and themes of anime giant robot shows of that period. So typically talking about Gundam, uh, Pat Labor, Votoms, and tries to take those and turn them into a role-playing game. Macross is also, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, although I think they were steering a little bit towards other anime as well. Like I would, I would argue... Um, Megazone 23 is one of their yeah. influences. And, but, and you're right about mentioning Pat Labor, which is my favorite giant robot. <laughs> oh, man. We were going to have a fight. <laughs> oh, my God. I love Pat Labor. I, I like it, too. I, I, I got into it in the mid-90s, though, so I was into that 90s anime. The robot design on. drives me up the fucking wall. But there I completely understand that. one. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up before we started getting to Robotech, but uh, let's go ahead and keep talking about this game. <laughs> All right, so so Mechton, specifically Mechton and Mechton Zeta. I never played Mechton, but I did play Mechton Zeta. I think I played one game of Mechton Zeta. So we're we're all not going to be experts on this one either, guys. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> Sorry. You know, we have a giant robot show, and we're like, oh, I kind of don't know about most of these. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Out of hell with it. <laughs> but I am a fan of Mechton. I think Mechton as an idea, as a game, is actually pretty cool. And I really think Mike deserves a lot of kudos for bringing it to market. Because I think there was a real niche there that people were looking for. They wanted to play giant robot games, giant robot RPGs. And they wanted to integrate it a lot more closely than, say, some of the things we talked about before, like you know, MechWare. I Again, I, I can't say a lot about Mechton, but Mechton Zeta, specifically. That book is beautiful. It is... It's got one of the most exciting openings I've ever read. Like, whenever I think about how I wanted to write the games that I worked on, like Rogue Trader and Death Watch and even Accursed, I would go back and look at the way that I was introduced to Mechton Zeta and try and capture some of that magic. Because my God, is it beautiful when it opens up. It has this almost like a, a, it's almost scripted like a trailer for a movie, the first 10 pages. And it's giving you these little snippets of this world, of this uh, invasion from outer space. And my God, it's just, it's gorgeous. In um, a world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I don't want to ruin it for people, but if you, if you ever get a chance to check out Mechton Zeta, look at those first 10 pages. And if you don't get a chill, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what I can tell you, what I can tell you, cause it's just great. I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now and I'm seeing this one out. There was a, an edition called Gundam Sinki, which came out in 2000. It was a Japanese, uh, Japanese language official mobile suit Gundam RPG using the Mechton system. Here's what oh, it says. See, here, here's what it says on Wikipedia. Again, came out in 2000 in Japan. Scheduled for U.S. release. Release date unspecified at this time. <laughs> well, so 14 years late. Tick, uh, yeah. Well, they you still might be. They, like, they still haven't quite reached Duke Nukem Forever levels, though. So. Well, the the key and thing that's, here and is that's that's on schedule for a Palladium product. <laughs> <laughs> well, the key thing to take away from this is is Mechton is such a good game that the Gundam guys want to use it. Right that's, in Japan, not not just the licenser in the U.S. In Japan, Bandai wanted it. So I'm just going to point out that that's kind of how awesome Mechton is. Okay, 
And it's Mechton Zeta is absolutely a love letter to mecha anime. Yeah. Now the system is is a little complex. There's an idea of these things called hits and kills that guns do guns do kills and you have hits. Um, it's got a construction system kind of like BattleTech where it's like at a part where you you build your giant robot and then that is a complex system as well. Uh, but it does also bring in some of the stuff from Cyberpunk 2020, like the idea of like there's a stat called cool. <laughs> things like that. No, it's, 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 it's got, Cyberpunk 2020 is a great game. This is what I'm saying. Is it's got some of the elements that made Cyberpunk a fun role-playing game as well on top of that. So I'm hesitant, like, I'm hesitant to play Mechton Zeta. I have a friend of mine who, like, uh, shout out to my friend Josh Dowdell because he's just an enormous fan of Mechton Zeta. I'm a little hesitant to play it, um, not because of Josh, but because the system is a little on the complex side for me. But it, nevertheless, they have an awful lot of, uh, Mechton Zeta was extremely well supported. Uh, for coming out at this point 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, for a 20 year old game, Mechton Zeta is very well supported. It has a lot of uh, supplements. It has a lot of additions to the game. They brought in like psychic powers for pilots. So if you want to play psychic pilots, you can do that. Um, I, I think I would love to see a new edition of Mechton Zeta. Like if I was king for a day, right? Like I would kickstart it. <laughs> I would, me and Jason would kickstart it together. <laughs> Uh, and we would do something, uh, you know, uh, definitely more simpler, but although I would leave a lot of the, the, the robot design stuff in there so that you could make the types of robots you want to make. Like in Mechton, if you want to make a transforming robot, that's just a, a few selections, right? I want, you know, I want it to transform from X to Y, and you can work that out. And you can have all the cool stuff that your robots have from beam sabers to, you know, auto cannons and, and everything. And they have their, their world that they put into the core book. Actually, it has a Gundam-like, you know, Zaku's versus Gundam's uh, approach, which is is also very, very cool. So I don't think any discussion of giant robot mecha games can go on without at least talking a little bit about Mechton Zeta. And it's also got a lot of fan support as well. Um, like I said, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page, and they're listing five different settings that have been designed by fans, including one for Bubblegum Crisis. So. Well, Bubblegum Crisis actually was a, a published game. By Artelsorium. Right. And it's pretty good. Well, it, it was a, a fusion game. Um, they, they came out with this system called Fusion that was kind of a, a halfway point between the Cyberpunk 2020 and Champions. Hmm. Um, there was a game called uh, Champions of New Millennium, as a matter of fact, that was published under the Fusion system. And Fusion powered Bubblegum Crisis. It powered, I think, I think there was another anime game as well. I can't remember the name of it. It might have been Demon City Shinjuku or something like that. But Fusion powered quite a few games of that era, and Bubblegum Crisis is one of them. And in Bubblegum Crisis, you actually play power armor characters. Again, it's a it's a, it's a really if you like Bubblegum Crisis, okay, kind of like you know Dresden Files role playing game is not only a, a good role playing game, but it's also an awesome reference. Bubblegum Crisis is like that for fans of Bubblegum Crisis. The RPG is a beautiful thing to have and own. Just just if you love uh, Bubblegum and you don't really care about role playing, it's still awesome to own it. Uh, by the way, the anime series that you're having trouble thinking of was just Dragon Ball Z. Oh, okay. There the you record. go. So, so there's that. <laughs> and um, unless you guys have anything else to say about Mechton Zeta, I think we might be able to. No, but one, one thing you've been... Well, Jason, did you have anything you wanted to say? No, not before? really. Because one thing you've been talking about with Mechton Zeta, and one thing I think we should really touch on before we close out by talking about Robotech is one thing we've been bringing up a lot is design of mechs. And that's 
I don't know about you guys, but that's probably one of the things that drew me to the genre so much was, like I said, getting those technical readouts from Battletech and just looking through them and looking at all those sketches and designs and reading all the sci-fi tech behind it and talking about Myomer armor and uh, the fusion engines that are going into it and how everything's powered and everything works and the neural helmets and, again, just those drawings, those designs that looked so cool. It's so- like It's like being a car nerd. For for nerds, you know, if, you, if you love if you're if you're a car guy and you love talking about your V8 engine and how all the the manifolds work and you you know you're really into the whole tech of your car, right? That's that's like nerds and giant robots because we love to talk about the sensor systems and the the power and and even how like the pilot interfaces you know with his his mech. And so stuff it brings like up that. an interesting, well, interesting I, question. Say, I think we need to ask oh, Total Fangirl what she thinks about mecha games. Oh yeah, she's a car person. Yeah. Uh, my personally, you're talking about that sort of love of the technology. My love of giant robots and powered armor, because I do really love powered armor, really sort of comes from the same place my love of cars and um, motorcycles and aircraft come from. I mean, I can sit and read technical write ups on aircraft all day. You know, I collect and restore antique Japanese motorcycles. You know, I do all the own work, all, all my own work on all my cars. You know, it's, I love knowing how these machines work and having this, this is going to sound weird, having this friendship with these machines. You know, they have distinct personalities, not in a, I, I don't know about cars per se, cause I'm, I don't drive. I'm not a car person, but I am a computer guy. I do software QA as my day job. Uh-huh. I completely see what you're saying. Every computer, you can have the exact same parts from the exact same manufacturers and the exact same operating system, and the exact same software, and the two computers act completely differently. Oh, yeah. Well, this is why guys name their cars. I don't you know? name cars. Well, but some guys do. <laughs> I right? name computers. Like, 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 like but you, I have know, to for the you could call your but... car Lola, or you could call your car, like, in, in, in a lot of our pop culture, there's people with cars that have names. Uh-huh. You know? So yeah, it, it's it's a thing in our culture, especially for guys, I would say, uh, where we just love machines and and sometimes anthropomorphize them a little bit by you know giving them a, a name and a personality and sort of identifying with them. Right. Hey Daryl, what what's your computer? Is what's your computer's name right now? Uh, the compu- My laptop is named Mouse. My desktop is named Ivy. My Linux box is uh, Bob. Uh, okay. Uh, trying to remember. I've got another computer named Butters, but I can't remember which one that is. <laughs> I think you're kind of getting my naming trend at this point. It's all Dresden Files yeah. characters. My PC, which I'm on right now, is uh, Alexandra Feodorovna. <laughs> uh, she was the last Zarevna yep, of Russia. Yep, she was yep, yep. Alexandra's. And then all my hard drives are named after her children. Uh-huh. My laptop, I have two. I have a laptop. That's Betty. I have another <laughs> machine around here that's Veronica. And then uh, my iPod is Anichka. Uh, and nice. for the record, my Wi-Fi network is Paranet. My rig for <laughs> recording this show is named Mac, after Mac and Allie. And okay. my Roomba is named Toot. <laughs> my, uh, my, my Wi-Fi is Yo-Yo Darn. Mm. So this is just goes to show that, you know, giant nerds. robots, well, giant robots <laughs> and nerds go really well together because it gives us that sort of ideal of there being sort of a spirit or a anthropomorphism yeah. to a giant robot where it's almost, it's not just a piece of machinery. It's almost like a person well, in some ways. I know. I think Ross, Ross, you've seen Master and Commander. Yeah. Have you seen Master and Commander, Daryl? I have not. 
Okay, I highly recommend it. I'm a huge Patrick O'Brien nerd. I'm a huge Age of Sail, you know, sailing nerd. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in Master and Commander where um, Russell Crowe, who's playing Captain Aubrey, talks about surprise, his ship. And you see how in love he is with this ship. And she's just wood, it's like wood and cloth and, and, and bolts, right? But it's his home. It's his livelihood. It's his, you know, it's his everything. You know, and there's this great attachment he has to it. And, you know... Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Captain Jack Sparrow and the Black Pearl. Um, eh, not as much. Eh. Kirk and the Enterprise. <laughs> There you go. That's that's a better, sure. okay. better comparison, yeah. So, yeah, so that's pretty much my... I, I just love looking at the tech and thinking about... Just looking at the designs, you can see the personality behind the mech, even if it's just an inanimate object. Well, I'm going to say different beyond the technology, things. like, I think there's even kind of an aspect of um, of superhumanism. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, one of the things I love playing about, you know, playing a superhero is feeling more than human, larger than life. And giant robots give you that sense of, by proxy, you know, I am huge, I am powerful, I am a force to be reckoned with, right? It's, it is directly amplifying your presence. I can on use a, very a battleship as a baseball bat. Yeah, it's, it's directly amplifying your presence on a very visceral level, and that's another thing that's really kind of awesome about giant robots and power armor, is you can do what you can do as a man, but you can do it so much more, you know? Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to bring it around to your Ballywack. Why don't you tell Bailey, us? Bailiwick. Why don't you tell us about <laughs> Robotech? When I came to Robotech as a property, you know, Robotech had a really big influence on me as a kid. I watched, I watched a lot of Robotech when I was little. Really sort of influenced my, you know, it was my first giant robot show. It made me really love giant robots. Uh, it in a sort of it sort of informed a lot of my writing, you know. After that, even as you know, as an as an adult, when you talk about Robotech, you know, you're talking about three very specific settings that you know Carl Masek sort of bodged together and then tried to iron out all the wrinkles. Well, you're so, talking about actually five settings. I'm talking about three: Macross, okay. Southern Cross. Those those are the ones that exist now. Well, okay. Look, for the listeners, though, there are five separate Robotech settings. There's so, Sentinels. What are the other two? Oh, Sen- Sentinels is Sentinels doesn't exist anymore. Well, hang on. From the standpoint of a role-playing game with giant robots, oh, okay. there are five separate role Robotech. Sorry, settings. I was think- I was thinking I was thinking current canon. Well, let- that's that's why I had to jump in there, <laughs> okay. listeners. Listeners, let me let me warn you right now. Ross and I are going to fight about Robotech for the next thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from the standpoint of a robot uh, uh, a Robotech RPG about playing giant robots, there's five settings. There's Macross, Southern Cross, Third Generation. I know you're going to call it most beta. Third Generation, Sentinels, and Shadow Chronicles. Shadow right. Is that, are, are, am I right or wrong? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> okay, go ahead, please. Robotech, the cartoon, and then its sort of component pieces you know, Macross, Southern Cross, and Mospita are all very character-driven. And I think a lot of anime is very character-driven. At least the, I'm not a huge anime fan, and I'm not a huge, I'm not very experienced with a lot of anime, but the stuff that I've watched and the stuff that I like tends to be very character-driven. So I think, you know, Robotech lends itself very well to being a role-playing game. 
because not only are you playing the pilot of an F-14 that turns into a giant robot and punches giant aliens in the face, or uh, you know a hover tank driver, you know in post-apocalyptic Earth, or you know a dude rolling a essentially a Buell Ulysses that turns into a suit of powered armor, you know you're there are these these great arcs of character development within the stories, you know the the canon stories from the cartoon. You know, I think Robotech makes an excellent role-playing game experience because of that. It's almost like the giant robot stuff, like the mecha stuff, is is secondary to the character development within that property. Well, to, to be clear, you're talking about your vision of what Robotech is. I would argue that the role-playing games themselves present a slightly different view. I would argue, for example, that from you know, if you picked up Macross and read it, it would tell you what it's about is giant robots in the military. And it's about military missions. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you, you and I are on a team of guys who drive pilot giant robots and we are assigned, you know, what we're doing in that world is we're assigned a mission to, to, to undertake. Right. Well, and the question, I've the always, question you asked was, right. what makes it a good role playing game? Well, that's not, that's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well, this has always been one of my cr- uh, criticisms of Robotech as a role playing game is that it's, it's always felt to me like one of Palladium's earlier games, Recon which was a, very much just like you are a bunch of guys in a war. Yeah. And it always felt to me like Recon with Giant Robots added in. It didn't, they didn't really change, in my opinion, they didn't change the thrust of the game to fit the source material. Mm-hmm. They just kind of layered that on top. And I, what you're describing, I agree, sounds you know, much closer to the source material. Sounds like something that's, that's more what I would want to play. And it's more of what I tried to do right. when I was doing Robotech. You know, I tried to really, f- yeah, I like Valkyries a lot. And I'm like, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I like Mecha a lot. But, you know, I really would rather hear about, you know, hell, I'd rather hear about Ben Dixon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, there's some great characters in Robotech. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, like if, if, if you were going to say what Macross was about as a role playing game, I think you would give us a different description than what we would get out of reading the RPG, right? If you were going to say the same thing about even Southern Cross, the, the one, the one game I think that does, that comes closest to replicating the source material as far as like what it's about is probably, uh, third generation slash most beta. Mm-hmm. Do you, you, you want to have anything to say about that? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I haven't read Irvin's most beta book. Uh, I've read the, that's the new one. I've read the old one and there's not much to it. Okay, but yeah, but I think I think from the examples that they show in there, and I think from the the adventures that are are part of that, they're showing you like how to you know what you're supposed to be doing is mm-hmm. a lot closer to that source material. That's that sure. is, that's at least the feel that I got. Let's put it sure. That. Which again, there's nothing really wrong with playing a military game. I don't I don't think there's in, there's there's no reason why that can't be fun to play. Just like we're we're all military guys mm-hmm. uh, doing stuff. So Jason, I think you know what you're describing is as how to play Robotech. That is. Kind of awesome to me. I would love to play in a game of Robotech where you're the GM. If you, you have, were, yeah, I have actually, but I'd like to play in like a campaign, like a really right, long right. running. I would love to develop a character, like the way you seem to love developing characters. Right. Um, tell us, like some of. I know you've got some great adventures, for example, for Macross uh, in in the in the way that you like to run it. So why don't you give us an, some some idea of the way you like to present what Robotech is about as a GM? Okay. Let me tell you about a convention game that I run, which is the game you played in. Uh, and then let me tell you about the campaign that I would like to run. Okay. Which I haven't gotten to. Listeners, um, Ross has actually played this game at Gen Con. 
Uh, it's, uh, and, I, and I run it two different ways. I run it either in space or I run it on the ground. And it was really uh, fun. I should point that out. Which, which one did you – were you in space or were you on the ground? Do you remember? I, be, I believe I was in space. I was the rookie. You were the rookie. You guys, okay, yeah, you guys played in orbit. Uh, basically, basically the, the game is called housekeeping or house cleaning. And basically it's a Zentradi and mixed Zentradi and human terrorist cell has holed up in a, in an abandoned Zentradi cruiser. Hmm. And you're part of a squadron that needs to go in there and get those assholes out of there. <laughs> and should I, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'll just tell you what happens. They get in there and they discover that everybody has smallpox because they were dicking around with the micronization chambers. And they put humans in the micronization chamber and made them giants like the Zentradi. It's a and really it, cool, it's a very cool premise. If you look, if you know Robotech and you know Macross pretty well, it's like, oh, there's a lot like, of moments like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not that big of a Robotech fan and I'm still, whoa. And, uh, but they're, you know, they go aboard, depending on how big the group is, it's either um, four guys in... Um, non-variable mecha, four guys in um, Spartans and two guys in Valkyries or four guys in Spartans and four guys in Valkyries. And it's a, it's a dungeon crawl. You know, it's, it's a dungeon crawl that gets, that gets worse and worse and more horrible for them as time goes on when they, when they realize that they're aboard a plague ship at this point. And so, you know, that's, the, that's the con game that I run a lot. The campaign that I would really like to run, and I just, I don't have the time or the energy to put into running a campaign right now. Um, I want to run a campaign that's based before the Robotech cartoon starts in it, it's after the crash of Macross, the ship Macross, and during the rebuilding where the players are all uh, reporters and engineers and scientists and politicians, and they're trying to figure out what the secret behind Project Valkyrie is. Hmm. And the secret, be cool. the secret behind Project Valkyrie is that it's the variable fighter. Yeah. Hmm. Right, it's an F-14 that turns into a giant robot because the aliens that we're going to be facing are giant aliens. They're 40, 50 feet tall. It sounds like a cool story, but I got to admit, like if I was going to sit down with you and play Robotech, I would expect there to be giant robots at some point. So, uh, right, you know, <laughs> sooner rather than later, most likely. So. <laughs> you know, or a test pilot game, I think would be great. Here's a, you know, th- that's a great like segue into like another thing I wanted to bring up. But we're We've, we've kind of discussed like all the games I can think of, uh, unless you guys know of any others, that are RPGs that have to do with giant robots. So clearly there's people out there who are running and playing these games. Mm-hmm. And if our listeners are listening to our show, you know, they want to listen not just to hear about these other games, I'm sure, but they want to hear about like what they can do to make a game like that special and memorable and cool. I'm going to throw this out to Daryl and then to Jason. Uh, what do you guys think are some ways a GM should and could use to make a game about giant robots memorable and special? Well, the first thing that I have to say about it is, again, it goes back to all Jedi, no Jedi. Either no one can be an actual mech pilot or everyone has to be a mech pilot. That's one of the faults that I found in a lot of the published adventures for the Mech Warrior role-playing game were that a lot of them assumed that there was one or two mech pilots and the technician and support crew. Nobody wants to play the deckhand on the aircraft carrier. Everyone wants to be Maverick. So, Unless you're all playing deckhands. And, if you're and, all, the ship is, and the ship is on fire. 
Yeah. Well, I think Daryl's got a great point there, though. I mean, no, he's, he's, he's absolutely to, correct. You have to pick one or correct. you have to pick one of the either everyone's a mech pilot or no one's a mech pilot. and You're doing something completely different, but set in that universe. Like, uh, you can do a really cool, like, espionage sort of thing, spy mm-hmm. games, in that you're trying to steal the plans for the giant mechs. And sure, you might be able to pilot a mech, but you're not going to be as good as a dedicated pilot, but you've got all these other skills and blah, blah, blah. That can be really, really fun. There's actually a couple of MechWare games that are built around that. The only problem is they kind of break down when it comes down to, okay, and now here's the mech fighting portion of it. Okay, you you get to sit out and watch because you don't have a mech. And that's that's not any fun for the other players. And it's uh, either everyone has to be a pilot or no one has to be a pilot. And you have to have players who are willing to create interesting characters. You can't have... Then, like in Shadowrun, you can get away with the street samurai. I, I have no name. I have no history. I have no family. I am just me. I am the badass samurai with the. You, you can pull that off in Shadowrun. You can't really do that in a game like this because the the story really comes first and foremost from the characters. Otherwise, you're just playing a tactical battle game. You might as well just break out BattleTech or or the Robotech tactical game that they're coming out with. You might as well just break out one of those and play a war game. Because that's pretty much what you're doing unless you have people who are making interesting characters that are going to interact well. Okay. When it comes to the stories, my best recommendation for getting inspiration would be watch every single military TV show or movie you can get your hands on. Comedy, serious, all of them. Watch them and, like, crib left and right. You know, I've heard from actual people in the silent service. I've actually heard from actual submariners in the u.s navy that down periscope is the best submarine movie made i i have heard something similar that's insane that's a terrible movie <laughs> it's it's terribly awesome <laughs> i i happen to really like that movie so I'm just gonna put that out. it's it's a lot better than i thought it was going to be that's all lieutenant I'll lake you're almost out of uniform <laughs> <laughs> i um when i was writing macross i watched as part of my research, one of the things I watched was the PBS documentary Carrier, which is six or eight episodes that takes place that was filmed over a six-month tour on USS Enterprise. So, mm-hmm. Jason, I think it's time for you to answer that question. Oh, go ahead. Memorable. Memorable. How, how do you t- make a, a game about giant robots memorable and special? Give the players something to play and a reason to play it. Okay, we're done here. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Done! (laughs) Yeah, my work here is done. No, you know, I I agree with everything Daryl said about, you know, about compelling characters and sort of fomenting characters and teamwork and that sort of team cohesion that you need in a, you know, because you're playing a military, well, at least if I'm talking about Robotech, you're playing on a, you know, in a squadron, in a jet squadron. If I'm making a game memorable for the players, it's world building. NPCs with names that they interact with all the time. You know, specific officers, specific enlisted men, specific civilians that you see, you know, specific mechanics, specific, you know, the CAG, you know, who, whoever. You know, just making sure that there are little bits of information in the world that make it breathe. I had some thoughts on this. I was thinking, like, if I was going to run, and, and I've, I've seriously considered running a game based on uh, Super Robot Wars, the anime. 
And I was thinking, you know, what be what what I wanted to to bring across. I think that would um, make the game really memorable and fun. I wanted to number one make sure every character, not the you know, as a pilot, had something special that distinguished them from each other. Something special that they, as a pilot, had that was that no one else had. That's up to the players, though. Well, well, yes, but I'm you know I'm saying this is this is one way to make it memorable is to get that distinction between. Not only are robots different, because I want also their robots to, should all also have something unique. You know, y- your robot should have something it does that mine does not. I think that would be that would be some rule that I would put down, just to kind of help help make that distinction more there, right? Like in Robotech, if you're playing a VF1S as opposed to VF1J, it just means you have two you have, you have two head lasers more than me, right? <laughs> or less than me, whatever that is. You know, I, I feel like that's not really that that big a distinction. But if you're playing a a Super Valkyrie and I'm playing uh, Excalibur, for example, you know, there, there is a distinct difference between what those two can do, mm-hmm. um, their roles in the battlefield and whatnot. And I think it's cool. I think, I think people want to play giant robot games. I think they want to feel special, not only as themselves, but they want to think that their robot is special. Um, so that's, that's another thing I would suggest. And I think the one thing we brought up very early on is we talked about a lot of the tropes and themes from, you know, early, uh, World War One fighter plane stuff would also be really cool. I, I would want there to be like a, a Red Baron pilot. I would want there to be, you know, a code of pilots, you know, that, that sort of separates them from the other guys fighting in that war or fight, or even if it doesn't, even if it's not a war, even if it's just like we're pirates on the fringe of the galaxy, I think there would be something cool to say, well, this is something that robot pilots do, right? You know, to have their own tradition. Kind of like that German pilot in World War One, where he was, had him, had this carrier in his sights. The thing was running on one engine out of four, uh, holes left and right. Uh, they could oh, see yeah, inside then, the hole of it. And so he escorted him into yeah. British airspace and flew back. World War II. Back. Yeah. That yeah. was two? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it was World War II. It was a B-17 and an FW-190, right. I think. So, so that's what I'm saying is if, if you could set, if you could set aside and say robot pilots have their own traditions and culture, um, that's another thing that would make it, make it very cool. And the very last thing that I would put in there is, again, this is kind of like, I'm, I like to look at the idea of, of, of a campaign rather than a one shot. Um, but if I was going to run a campaign for people of, of giant robots, I would also have an opportunity, at least one opportunity for technology to evolve. And what, what I mean by that is, uh, a, there would be some kind of shift in technology along the way to where your robot could change a little bit. Like you could upgrade it a little bit. Um, you could gain something new out of it so that you feel like not only have I changed, not only has my character had an arc where he started out one way and, d- and ended up a different way. My robot has started out one way. It's kind of the same way. From- if you want your character to level up, you kind of want your mech to level up too. Yeah. And I would, I would want it. So, so that's my suggestion for, for memorable game is unique, unique pilots, unique pilot culture, and traditions, unique robots, and then some kind of evolution technology somewhere along the line. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you are a GM and you want to run a giant robot game, obviously you should probably watch things like Robotech, uh, Macross, um, any, any source material that has giant robots in it. I think Gundam 8th MS team is one of my favorites for... That is sh- hands down my favorite mecha anime. <laughs> So there's I've never a, seen a Mechton show. You mean a Gundam show? Or what did I say? Yeah, Mechton. A Gundam show, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah Gundam that, that, Makes the MS Team has a great character-driven narrative to it. And one of the things I really loved about it is the attention that they paid to the technology that they'd already set up in the world in the main series. Right. It's kind of like a side story of the main... Main Gundam follows the main story. This is like a side unit that's off on one of the uh, like border skirmish type things going on. It's very, it's a lot more guerrilla than just the big, huge, giant battles. With it's more sh- small scale. It's yeah, just about sure. you know, just about a couple of people rather than a huge, you know, engagement space. And they paid so much attention to detail. Like when they they make water using a using a coffee can and a plastic sheeting or so that the enemy couldn't intercept they used wired communication even if they had to trail a wire a mile down right so and, and remember not- this is this is gundam so radar doesn't work so their their scout vehicle actually uses sonar and basically plants a little thing in the ground and they have guys listening to the vibrations to try and determine where the enemies are wow it's pretty badass but speaking of gundam one thing that uh I'm probably going to get shit for saying this, but uh, this Gundam series, I would actually recommend watching at least a little bit of to get the idea of what Ross is talking about with unique characters and unique mechs would be Gundam Wing. Because each of those... I, I support that. Because each of those... Uh, there are a lot of purist Gundam fans that cannot stand that show, but it has a lot of what you're talking about. Each of the five characters had their own distinct personalities. They had their own distinct mechs. They had their own distinct abilities. And yeah, they had neither, their own skills, you know. And neither one was technically any better than the other one on paper. It was just whether or not the pilot was any better or what situation they were in. And, right, and Like there was a pilot who was an acrobat and there was a pilot who was an assassin and there was a pilot who was like a scavenger, right? So they all had their own skill outside the mecha as well. Sorry, I watched a lot of cunning things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, um, and it's it's just a great example of exactly what you're talking about with bringing these people together and putting them in a situation where again it's all the it's all pilots they're not worried about the maintenance staff or anything like that and there's a good plot line going on there's actually a good deal of intrigue in the plot that they had in that show over the entire arc of the series so it'll give you an idea of how you might want to run and it it, it just feels very RPG which may be why a lot of traditional Gundam fans don't like it as much aside from the fact that it's set in an alternate universe and all the mech pilots were by Shonen and <laughs> all right well let's just say there's a lot I mean you could you could bring up issues with about just about any giant robot show um, I don't I can't think of any that are perfect um, but there are oh, a the lot cat labor. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about why I don't like Pat Labor's <laughs> I know why you don't like Pat Labor and, and you're welcome to your wrong opinion <laughs> Okay, Pat Labor's designs irritate me because they they are basically taking a police officer and making him really big, and and I think they're ignoring a lot of the reasons why you would drive a giant robot, like built-in weapon systems and things like that. And it, and it's it's to me it's kind of silly to have a thirty-eight special that's just blown up three hundred percent, and that's basically what their robots carry. And I'm like, why don't you just build it into the arm and that way you wouldn't have to holster it or put a speed loader in it or anything. I'm like, why? Because it's not as awesome. <laughs> and they have, I, I don't know, man. God, I, God, do I love watching an Ingram 95 run down a street and open up on a rogue mech with a riot shotgun. Let me, let me be clear. <laughs> let me be absolutely clear. There's nothing wrong with hot labor. My... My opinion, right, it's just my opinion, it's a subjective opinion, but my opinion is I didn't care for the robot designs. But I'm sure that there are people out there who would, and in that case, I think Jason's great, to. Br- it's a good idea to bring it up, 
so that the listeners can go kind of look at it for themselves and see, you know, if it's something they might be interested in. The biggest problem with Pat Labor is there's too much talking. <laughs> and that's why I like it. Less it's because talking, of the characters. Or shooting. There's a whole lot of talky talky talking about our feelings in my giant robot police officer game. Man. Okay. Yes, I understand. It's hard to be a police officer in Neo Tokyo with your giant robot. <sighs> well, you know, okay. actually, in a role playing game, though, where we were police officers and giant robots, and my, um, my Shadow's Angeles setting does, in fact, have that size robots running around in the police. I think the interesting question is, like, you know, what, what does that, what impact does that have on crime fighting? And how does that change the way that your police officers work? Mm-hmm. In, in Shadows Angels, for example, they they use those on demons and monsters and uh, cyborgs and things like that. That's why they have it, is to give themselves an edge. Well, I mean, in Pat Labor, they're fighting other laborers. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Is there anything else? Let's 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 get back to our, our core topic here, the, the giant robots in a, in a role-playing game. Is there anything more we want to say about that before we I, get ourselves close to last call? I was reminded of... One other role-playing game that involves Mecha. Oh, okay. Cthulhu Tech. Oh, yeah. I haven't played it yet. I haven't even read it yet. Yeah, Yeah, no, he's got a point. Yeah, it's basically Battletech meets Cthulhu. Well, no, I I don't think that's fair. I would actually say it's closer to Evangelion meets Cthulhu. Eh. Well, they they take a lot of anime... They take a lot of anime um, sources, like Evangelion, like Giver... And, and blend it into one world with the Cthulhu mythos. Now, again, I'm not an expert. I don't, I own some of the books, but I've never played it. Let's put it that way. I gotta admit, I had some uh, concerns about, about, uh, balance looking at that game. Like, if Jason's playing a Giver or a Power Armor pilot and I'm playing a guy driving a Evangelion, you know, I, I, <laughs> I think one of us is going to have slightly more powerful attacks than the other. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. It sounds good. It has two of my favorite things in it. Yeah, it's basically the deep ones are starting to wake up, and we have giant robots to fight them with now. Not that it's going to get us very far, but... Uh, it depends. (laughs) You know, I think Cthulhu Tech might be a lot cooler now that Pacific Rim is out, and people are kind of interested in the idea of monsters and, and giant robots, and that's one of the few games that really blends those two together. So, Jason, is there anything else you all wanted to say about the topic of giant robots and RPGs? I think we've covered a lot of good stuff tonight. I'm not, okay. you know, I'm not sure what else we should or could talk about. All right, fair enough. Well, we're gonna that's gonna bring us really close to last call, and we should make sure our listeners know where they can find you on the web and what your latest things are that they should be looking for. Oh, okay. Our, uh, our faithful listeners can find us at amalgamatedfiction.com. Um, that's my, uh, that's the, the landing page for my blog, which is woefully unupdated. My Facebook page, my Twitter feed, which is also woefully unupdated. <laughs> um, cause I'm bad at social media. Uh, aside from Accursed, the latest thing to look out for, I've got a bunch of Star Wars stuff coming out from Fantasy Flight. A bunch of books that I've worked on. Anything you can, you can say a title for? Or? Um, uh, what is it? Sons of Fortune. The Corellian okay. source book is coming out, and that one's really fun. Actually, my, uh, my modular adventure from that book was used as a free PDF download on uh, Fantasy Flight's website a couple weeks ago. I was pretty stoked. Nice. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, you know, just, um, I don't know, anything by Fantasy Flight that you see spaceships in, I've probably written the spaceships. So, <laughs> <laughs> are You're also writing some stuff for Recursive coming up, aren't you? I am. Uh, is, I believe there's some adventures. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not due till the middle of March. I, I think he, I was about to say I think he's going to miss the deadline on that one, Ross. No, that's not that's not due till the middle of March. I'm well, this show by the time the show airs, it'll be February. So, right. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think the the deadline ish for that was like the sixteenth of March. Well, so uh, let's just say that you are also working on some adventures for a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if they are backburnered at the moment. Sorry. It's fair. It's fine. Uh, but uh, I think that's going to bring us to the close. Uh, the Imperial Guard are starting to close down the bar. So uh, we want to say again, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Daryl, is there anything else you want to say about giant robots and RPGs before we shut down? Uh, giant robots are awesome. They are. That's I think true. they're even more awesome when they are voiced by the girl who does Gladys. So there's that. <laughs> All right, so uh, that is us. That's the Gamers Tavern, and we are shutting down.